The reading today is Acts 16, 10 to 40, and can be found on page 1111 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, "'Don't harm yourself. We are all here.' The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sir, what what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. 
The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them out from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Esther, uh, for that reading. And uh, what a good day it was yesterday at the Spring Fair. Um, a great job was done by all, and uh, it was a wonderful community connection. I have to say there was a bit too much enthusiasm for Splat the Vicar. <laughs> Do you notice it appeared eight times? Uh, I'm not going to name and shame anyone for uh, damaging my eye. No, I'm not damaging. Except that if you're the, 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 the brother of the reader, um, perhaps you might like to speak to afterwards. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say we were going to preach on Genesis and Noah, but we won't. Anyway. No, no, there's, there's no damage. Um, there is a, the, here's a real-life story of a church that was born. Um, a a real-life story of, of ministers who literally were flogged and uh, put in stocks um, for their efforts to plant a church in this place called Philippi. And uh, here, is, um, he, here we are. Um, it's now called Kavala, um, and it's in sort of northeastern Greece, just on the kind of getting on the borders there. But... Uh, or on the coast there, that, and it's, 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 a, it's a trade route, um, Philippi. But the sacrifices that Paul made um, for this church to be born uh, were, uh, were, were the result of him going into prison. He was flogged and put in these stocks, as you heard. Um, and yet, they were thrilled and delighted to do it. And they were thrilled and delighted because lives were changed. And uh, that's the thing that, uh, that's remarkable about this chapter. Acts chapter 16, if you've got a Bible, please turn to it. Um, page 1112 uh, to, 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 to see. And uh, one of the things I want you to notice is um, it is an unusual chapter because you'd think that Luke, who was writing it, would talk about the strategy of reaching that city of, of 10,000 or so people. Um, but in fact, he gives just three stories. Three stories of different people whose lives were changed. And I think the reason why he does that is if you turn over the page back to 1111, you will see that Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia. And, uh, and you'll see down at, say, let's say, verse 8, right at the bottom right-hand side of the page, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, then do you notice this little word? We. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach all the time through the, up to this particular point, it's they were doing this and they were doing that. But here, suddenly, it changes to we. And it changes to we because Luke has joined the party. Luke has joined the mission team. 
And Luke is writing this down. I think he's, he's saying, the reason I'm recording what happened in Philippi is that what happened in Philippi happened everywhere. Wherever this gospel was preached, lives were changed. Individual lives were changed. And that's, says Luke, that's what it's all about. Individual lives being changed. And so we're going to listen in to three very different people. And the question I want you to have in your mind as we go through this is, which one of these three is me? Which one of these three is closest to me? Now, some of you are going to say I'm all three, okay? Uh, but, uh, but work it out. Which one of these three? And, which, and how does the gospel, how does this Christian message get through to that particular person? So we've got three people. Three points. And then a conclusion. So, uh, so here we go. Here's the first. Lydia. Lovely name. Um, I know we've got a few Lydias here. Um, Lydia's the religious person. Paul had been in the city for a few days. So we're now at verse 11. Um, the, let me just move this out here. Um, uh, we're at verse 11. And uh, he'd been in the city for a few days. But he, there didn't seem to be a synagogue. To get a synagogue, you'd need ten men. Obviously, weren't ten men. So he went outside to the river, and there he saw women praying. And uh, they were, they, uh, Jewish women were praying, or some of them were Jewish women, and one of them was Lydia. Now, Lydia wasn't a Jewish woman. She was from Thyatira. Um, she was probably wealthy. She was Asian in background. She dealt in purple goods. And purple was, was a very popular color with Caesar and his household, and so that was probably what she was dealing in. The dye for purple, I'm told, comes from small quantities of a juice from a shellfish that squirted out. So um, uh, th- there you go, a bit of useful information. But it says in verse 14, she was a, in quotes, worshipper of God. Now what does that mean? That's a, that's a technical term. And it means that she was... She was not a Jewish person. She was a a Gentile. That's a non-Jew. But she was seeking this God of the Old Testament. She was a God-fearer. Sometimes that's what they were called. And so she joined in. And uh, she was seeking to know the God of Abraham, uh, of Joseph, of Moses, of Esther, of Ruth, of David. She knew there was something right and true about this God. So there she was, praying with them. And it tells us here, in verse 10, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, what was it that Paul said? Because it doesn't actually say here. But if you know me, um, you'll know that I've got stories that just come back again and again and again. In fact, at my last church when I left, I started an illustration and the congregation finished it, which is really embarrassing. So Paul was probably saying the same kind of thing as what he said back in chapter 13. Now, you don't have to turn to it, but those of you who are curious, even those of you who perhaps even are making notes, it's verse 13, 38. Uh, At the very 36, he talks about uh, King David... And he talks about a a quote from uh, King David. And he said, 
Now, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried by his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. He's talking about Jesus, the greater David, you see. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Let, let me kind of describe it to you. Paul is saying, Lydia, you've heard the Bible stories, but you've heard them wrong. Really? Yes, you see, this is what religious people do. Take the story of David. They, they, David and Goliath. Fabulous story. David gets his five smooth stones. You know, down goes Goliath, uh, which is a great, it's a, it's a lovely story, isn't it? He doesn't see, ah, he's so big, I'm scared. He says, he's so big, I can't miss. Bang, gets him. Okay, but Lydia would have thought, I've got to be like David. I've got to slay the Goliaths in my life. I've got to be like Esther. I've got to be like Joseph. And Paul would be saying, no. <laughs> No, you don't have to be like David. David won the battle, and all his people, all the people, were saved because of it. They all participated in the victory. There is a greater David who saves you, who does it for you. You don't have to do it and try and be this super special person. No, all these great characters are pointing to a greater Joseph. You know, a greater David, and so on and so forth. Uh, they're pointing to a greater deliverer, one who will come and free you, who'll do it. <laughs> you don't have to do it. It's been done. <laughs> Jesus has come and delivered you. He's died on the cross and slayed the Goliath of sin and death. And all you've got to do is believe and trust in him. And Lydia goes, really? It's as simple as that. She goes, wow. Thank you for such clear Bible teaching. And she becomes a Christian. Nothing dramatic. No floods of tears. Not recorded anyway. Just happened. There you are. She just understood. For her, for Lydia, what she needed, she believed and baptized, and all her household were joined in as well, which is a lovely, lovely note. She just needed an explanation, good Bible teaching of what it meant, of what the Lord had done for her. And she was saved. And that may be you. You started to come to church, and you sort of knew the stories, but it wasn't put together in the right way. It's all in the wrong, wrong order. You kept thinking, I've got to be the superhero. No, Jesus is the superhero. <laughs> He's done it. And how do we know that she was converted? Look at this lovely verse. I love this. She who opened her heart to the Lord, verse 15, opened her home to his servants. That is the sign. Hospitality. Open that. That's a lovely sign. Are you like Lydia? That's the first person. Okay? Second person. She hears a recent explanation from the Bible. Second person, the slave girl. Well, now she's a very different girl. She's a, she's a, a slave. 
You see this in the story of verse 16 and onwards. And she's in a double bind. She was exploited by others for financial gain. She was used as a commodity, but she was also in the grip of a supernatural spirit. Literally, if you look at the Greek, she had a python spirit. Now, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, um, uh, the Oracle of Delphi was apparently guarded by a python, um, and, uh, um, and the Oracle could predict the future. And so anybody who had a uh, an ability, supernatural ability to p- predict the future, was was was, uh, was regarded as somebody who had a python spirit, like the um, Delphic oracle. Now, all this is very weird to Western ears. You know, we we, we kind of feel uncomfortable at this point. What's going on? It's a bit weird. It's it's not weird to people from other countries who are with us today, they would probably be able to say, spiritism is alive and well, and we've seen this sort of thing. Just wanted to mention that. But it's strange to us. But there are supernatural powers. And there's a divine power, of course, which is very different, but there are supernatural powers, devilish powers. And we should not be taken in by them, may I say. Um, and so, uh, we, we I just want to say, it's there. And it enslaves people. And it enslaves people in the same way as people are enslaved today, though not necessarily through spiritism. The devil will enslave you in all kinds of ways that he can, whether it be economic or addiction or whatever it might be. You might be enslaved. And you can't break out. just want to make a little mention of this girl's speech She says things that are mostly true, by the way. She followed Paul and she said, these are servants of the Most High God. That's true. And um, who are telling you, and it says in the version here, the way to be saved. But actually there's no the in it. So it's possible, she was saying, um, these are servants of the Most High God. That's correct. But they're telling you a way to be saved. Just not clear, slightly vague. That's always the thing when you uh, get something that's just slightly off. So do be beware of things that sound plausible but are not coming from a good place. Because Paul recognizes this is not coming from a good place. <laughs> he, he, knows, he knows something is not right. And, so, uh, and you probably heard Esther's, Esther uh, say this quite, quite clearly. Um, finally, Paul became so annoyed, it said there, and, of course, when we get annoyed, you know, it's probably not a good thing. The, the word is translated um, burdened. So I don't think he's just irrit- irritated, in a, uh, but he's sort of, he's disturbed by this. This is not right. This is free advertising, but it's coming from a dodgy place. I don't like this. And as it went on, for days and days, he was... This is, this is definitely not right. You know, he could sense that. And so he commands the spirit to come out of her. Now, we are not apostles, and we don't have that authority in that way. And I would re- recom- not recommend the sort of shouty kind of uh, deliverance ministry that you sometimes see on television. But I do want to say this. By prayer of faith, God can deliver people 
in the name of Jesus. And I, and I think we just simply have to pray for people. Just pray for them. I know one girl who was involved in witchcraft. Um, and it was steady prayer and the reading of the Bible, actually. She was a combination of Lydia and the slave girl. Steady prayer and the reading of the Bible, she was freed from it. I know another girl, and, and you do too, um, uh, who um, you might do. She was freed from drugs when she felt God looking down on her and saying, that's not what you were made for. Nobody else was involved at that point. But it was a supernatural deliverance, you know. And I think the way it works out for us today in, in the 21st century is, is probably not very... It may not be massively dramatic, and, and sometimes the miracle of deliverance still leaves a scar and the marks of the struggle. But when Christ wins the decisive victory in a person's life, you have seen the power of Christ at work. And some of you may say, that was me. And some of you may be saying, that's what I need. Would you pray with me? Pray very gently and quietly, but in faith that God would free you to follow him so that you could commit your lives to him. Now, we don't know if this slave girl was converted, but I think as part of a, three, a group of three, I'm, 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 I'm thinking with John Stott that she was. So she's part of the church as well. What an amazing person. What a story she had. Number three. The jailer. <laughs> he's the disinterested pragmatist. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's more interested in the results of the football today. Okay, sorry. Actually, having said that, I've just disqualified all of you now. Sorry, because I am interested in football today, of course. But disinterested pragmatist, okay? Now, what had happened from verse 19 onwards is that the owners of the slave girl realized that their source of income had gone. And so they stir up a fuss. And any time genuine Christianity and sees a life turned around, it does cause a problem. I remember a fireman who was converted who then refused. He just said, I, I'm not going to book overtime when I haven't done it. And boy, did that cause a problem in the fire department, just by being honest. But anyway, there you go. So, but, but what they say is, these men are Jews, okay, they don't understand who they are quite, because they're Christians, obviously, as well as Jewish. But here, they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for, for us Romans to accept or practice. In other words, you Christians, you're coming along, and you're changing things, and you're bad for the city. That must have hurt. Because actually the gospel was good for the city. Because this, this girl was set free. But that sometimes, I'm afraid, is the accusation that's made against us. And some of you will have those battles. You know, at school and education, some of those issues are coming up right now. And you just have to remember that the, the gospel truth is, is good and wholesome for human society. So, that got Paul and Silas into trouble. And so they were thrown, and they were hauled before the courts, and they were thrown into jail. And that is where they meet number three, the jailer. And, uh, uh, and he, he's a Roman soldier. Uh, he wasn't looking for a sermon. 
He didn't even want an emotional or psychological experience or whatever it is, or a ministry of deliverance. But he's a man with a conscience, I think. These two come in, oozing with blood. He doesn't bind up their wounds. He puts them in stocks. That keeps their feet apart. Okay, so it's the cramp that really hurts you. That's, that, that, that's what the stocks were. They weren't just straight like that. It was pushing them right apart like this. So um, that, that's the, the cramp was the pain. But what he can't understand about these Christians is that they're singing. At midnight. <laughs> they were praying and singing hymns to God. That's what it says. It was 25. And the prisoners were listening to them. What is it? And I think that's actually, by the way, if a, church, if a church stops singing, you need to be worried about that. But when it sings in adversity, it is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. At that moment, an earthquake happens. It is on a fault line, so that is not um, uh, unexplainable, as it were. And, and all, all the doors fly open... Um, and he's already somewhat convicted by their, the manner of their life. But now the doors fly open and he thinks, well, that's it. I'm a, it's over. Um, I've lost the prisoners. I, I've got to fall on my sword. And he's just about to ready to fall on his sword. And suddenly this voice in the darkness calls out, hold on, hold on. We're all here. Who does that? Who sacrifices their liberty for the sake of another person's life? Do you see how Paul and Silas are so like Jesus? And that so blows him over that he says, What must I do to be saved? That is a lovely thing, isn't it? When the life of a believer is changed and the man is baptized and uh, believe in the Lord Jesus they spoke the words and uh, he was baptized and uh, but just before he did that the jailer took them and washed their wounds what a moment and then he offered them hospitality there's a real sign that he was converted what a story and look, by the end of the chapter, there's so much more, but we've run out of time. Um, there's so much more. You see verse 40, after Paul um, uh, uh, calls the officers to account in Philippi, for the sake of the church, actually. Verse 40, Paul and Silas came out of prison. They went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and they left. And in that group of three were Lydia, obviously, in her household, Slave girl, we, we, we trust. And the jailer. What a congregation. You wouldn't get those three talking with one another, would you, normally, in the street? What a congregation. That's the first congregation. What does this all say? And here we are. First of all, um, that's the final point. What does it mean? The good news is for everybody. An Asian, a Greek, and a Roman. A very different kinds. In fact, uh, 
St. Paul later, um, th there is an old Jewish prayer that says, um, and I, I don't think it's an approved prayer at all, um, because it highlights some of the prejudices, but it says, thank God I'm not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman, and that's what you had in the first church. The gospel unites people. As I said, these people wouldn't have crossed the road to talk to one another. But now they're brothers and sisters in the Lord's family. Do you want to know how to work for unity as a church? The more Jesus means to you, the more Jesus' people mean to you. Simple. Thirdly, people need different things to draw them in. Um, so a recent explanation, a powerful prayer, um, or, or, or uh, a, a, an example of a life. But they're all built up by the gospel. They all pointed to Jesus, repent and be baptized and the, and the teaching of Jesus. So they come in different ways, but they're built up by the same thing, the teaching of the word of the gospel in the power of the Spirit. And that church was born. It cost Paul and Silas. And if you, and I trust you will, as I will, um, help church planting to continue, it will be costly in various ways. But why did Luke write this? He wrote this because it's all about changed lives. And which one are you? Which one are you most like? Lydia, the slave girl, or the jailer? How did you become a Christian? Or are you not yet a Christian? Well, one of those three ways is going to be your way in. And Paul felt very much for this church. He wrote that letter that... Um, uh, was referred to, the letter to the Philippians. And he wrote these words, and I finish with this. He wrote in chapter 3, verse 14, I press onwards to the goal to win the prize which God has called me for, heavenwards. And then what is the prize? And you read that in his letter in chapter 4, verse 1. My brothers and my sisters, you whom I love and long for, you're my joy and you are my crown. It's those changed lives. <coughs> Wonderful, isn't it, how a church starts? Let's pray for changed lives. Heavenly Father, we turn to you and we thank you that you have changed our lives and we pray that you would continue to change more lives through the power of your Spirit and the power of the Gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen.